It's great to see you today. And I, isn't it good to worship together in the midst of a world that has hurricanes and wars and coup d'etats and all kinds of and issues in our own lives to be able to turn back to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for who we are when we know you. It's great to worship, isn't it? Say, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Really glad to have you here today. Uh, those of you engaging online, grateful to have you with us. Uh, yesterday, I was over at the Middlebrook Heights Town Park, and we had the, they invited me to be part of the invocation and blessing over the new police station here in Middlebrook, and also praying that I will never have to visit there for purposes that uh, I wouldn't want to be there. And, but it's a great place, and really have a good relationship with the leaders in our city. But there was dozens of volunteers from Grace helping out at the Fall Fest. So thank you to all of you just making an impact in our community. Really appreciate that. And those of you engaging online, and those of you who are Lorraine Correctional, uh, guys, glad to have you with us. So many of you engaging, whether galvanized or alpha or various uh, ways to continue your growth journey. You know, all of us who are engaging today, somewhere you're, you, there's something happening in your heart because you're here today saying, or you're engaging online saying, I, I, God is doing something in my heart. You know, maybe you're at the beginning point of the journey and you say, I'm, I'm sort of new to this, and, uh, but I'm, I've, I feel like I'm on the right path. Some of you, uh, you've been devoted for a long time, and you go, I, I've got a ways to go. Jesus is patiently shaping me, making me the person he wants me to be, but, but I'm, I'm devoted uh, to, to going on and growing in my relationship with Christ. And then some of you, you'd say, I, I don't really know where I am. You know, I'm here because of someone I love. I come with them, but I don't, I don't quite have this all figured out. Uh, I just want to say I'm really glad to have you here today. Wherever you are on the journey, we've said before, we want grace to be a safe place to grow and to investigate and to say um, Jesus knows us, he sees us, he loves you, he has good plans for your life, and we can, we can come to him with our questions we are in the second part of a two-part series on what's called deconstruction, common term being used today when a person evaluates their belief system. And in, in a journey, they, they, they leave either some of what they believe behind or they leave all of what they believe behind. And it's not just for Christians. There might be someone who's been Muslim or Hindu or whatever, and they go, you know, I grew up like this, but now I'm wondering, I don't know for sure I, I, if, you know, what I believe is the way to really know God. And you're taken by the wonder of who Jesus is. It might be someone who's an agnostic, and they thought, no one can really know if there is a God, I don't know if there's a God. And now they're starting to doubt their doubts, and they go, which is a good thing to do, and they say, you know, I, I, I'm wondering now if I too quickly just wrote off that a person could know God in a personal way, and now I'm thinking maybe you can. And then it sometimes happens to Christians. The Christians wonder if what they believed or how they've been raised is really, you know, in the way that they still believe today. And they leave either, sometimes it's just part of their faith. We saw that last week how the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter, we looked at, at his life and how he had to leave behind, he had to deconstruct remnants of his Jewish faith, dietary laws, the views that they had of non-Jewish people that would have completely hindered the spread of the good news of Jesus had Peter held on to those beliefs. And so he had to deconstruct, he had to shed those. 
and so that he could have a more vibrant faith and a faith that was contagious and was spread throughout the Middle East and really around the world today. So let's just do a quick review. We talked about the process of building faith, and we said there are three parts to that. First of all, there's construction. We all grew up with influences in our lives, you know, mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or maybe some friends or you had a house of worship growing up, and you began to, to construct as a child either uh, some kind of, maybe you grew up Catholic or Methodist or you grew up another religion or really no religion at all, and, and that became normal for you. And, you, and you, be, you, you sort of constructed a view of the world. You said, this is how I interpret what happens in the world today. Um, and what I think about the afterlife. And then that's construction, but then at some point either we leave home and we start going, did I just believe that because my parents believed that and that's the way I was raised or do I really believe this for myself? And we sort of go through a period where we're often thrust into a new environment. Maybe it's a crisis in life. You know, you go through some kind of a, a challenging time or the death of a loved one or something and you begin perhaps to deconstruct. And, and a deconstruction is sort of reassessing what you believe, how you got there, in a sense that you might not believe in that same way anymore. We'll talk about that more in a second. But there's a third step as well, and it's really most healthy when you include this third step, and that's uh, reconstruction. Because deconstruction doesn't have to mean the destruction of your faith. Instead, we can reconstruct with the faith that's more healthy and well-reasoned, like the Apostle Peter we saw last week. And we disentangle our faith from some of the things that have built up around our faith. Let me just give you a quick illustration. Trivia question. You're going to see a picture on the screen. And I want you to see if you can guess what building this is. You get a little bit of a clue in the front with some monuments there. There's snow. That's the Air Force Academy. And behind all that wrapping, anybody know what that is? They're doing... Uh, uh, some deconstruction and reconstruction of the Air Force Academy Chapel. And when they're done in a couple of years, uh, you're going to see the building look like this. That's the Air Force Academy Chapel. Beautiful building, isn't it? Some of you have been there. And so uh, they are, and, and you sort of, it's the only building on the Air Force Academy that it does not have a flat roof. They wanted the chapel to be something that sort of pointed upward to heaven, a sense of drawing your attention to things of eternity and of God. You sort of see how it's in the shape of airplanes. So anyhow, our son's room is within sight of that uh, where he's on campus as a junior. But here's, what, what, uh, here's the point is that it's a good thing to take down some of that scaffolding, right, that's built up around that beautiful building and it's a metaphor for people's faith that often when deconstruction happens, it sometimes what they're doing is they're just sort of taking off the scaffolding that's built up around their faith. Maybe they say, you know what, I thought that to be a Christian meant you had to believe that the end times, eschatology, the way Jesus is going to come back, is going to be exactly like this. And now I'm realizing there's different views and to be a Christian doesn't mean I have to have just that one view. Or the same thing about how to interpret the first two chapters of Genesis. Exactly how did God create the world and when? And, and you say, maybe it's not just the way I was taught. Or, or uh, there can be all kinds of things. A 20-something says, you know, I thought that to be a Christian meant that you were part of a particular political party. And, and what I realize is that, that uh, that's not the case. I discovered a relationship with Jesus and realize that to be a Christian doesn't primarily mean you hold to a set of political views, but that you really hold to Jesus. And he'll lead you, but it might not be exactly the way that one political party or another. And, and so you deconstruct some things from 
your faith. You take off the scaffolding and you're left with a more authentic faith, accepting the invitation of Jesus where he says, come and follow what? Follow me. He says, come and follow me. So you don't leave the faith over those things, but you maybe leave some of the scaffolding behind. And we could talk about other ways that that's happened. Sometimes it might be an unhealthy church, toxic leadership, you know, just overbearing or legalism. And you go, I, I don't think this is the way of Jesus. And so you leave the scaffolding behind, but you, you hold on to your relationship with Jesus. But there are also times when a person who's been a Christian leaves not only the scaffolding behind, they leave it all behind. They leave Jesus behind. They go, I'm not just leaving the church or some views I had, I'm, I'm leaving it all. And it's painful for the people who are around them and who love them. Uh, and it's something that probably a lot of us have seen or experienced with people we love, or maybe you're there yourself. Authors Robert Putnam and David Campbell, uh, some sociologists, wrote a book called American Grace a couple of years ago, and they said young Americans are dropping out of religion at an alarming rate of five to six times the historical rate. So if it seems like it's happening more, they're saying it is. Often it happens at university. You'll hear a story about that a little bit later in my message. A study by the Fuller Youth Institute found that almost a third of college students say that their institute of higher learning was not helpful in keeping or growing their faith. In fact, it was antagonistic toward it. So if you have a college student that you care about and love, pr pr pray for them. Here's what the Pew Research Center is saying could happen. They said people who identify as atheist, uh, agnostic, or nothing in particular could become America's largest non-religious group within our lifetime, driven by young people defecting from the faith. So this is happening a lot. That's why we wanted to talk about it for a couple of weeks. But let me ask this. Does it, how does it impact you? When, you? when you think of people who are leaving the faith and, and just sort of drifting away, how, how does that, what does that, what does that do to you? Does it surprise you? Should it surprise us? I want us to hear first, do two things today. First, what did Jesus and the early church leaders tell us to expect? And secondly, what's the most important question that you and I need to grapple with in our own journey? Or the most important question the people we love need to grapple with? Because it's easy for us to sometimes go after the views that people hold that are deconstructing or a behavior, and there's really one question that matters the most. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, if you don't have a paper Bible, you can turn uh, in the Bible app. You'll see the, that uh, little uh, icon on the screen there. And also, if you miss notes, on your way into the worship center at the tables are some message notes also uh, that uh, have some of the top things that are happening at Grace Church these days. And if you didn't uh, get those, you can go, or for those of you engaging online, just go to our website, gracecma.org, and you'll see the bulletin there, and the notes are quickly a part of that. What we discover is this, that while departures from faith are sobering, they really aren't surprising. People do walk away from the relationship with Jesus, but it's, that's always happened. In fact, Jesus told us in advance that some would question their faith and walk, walk away for a variety of reasons. So let's see what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 8. The context is he's telling one of his parables about different kinds of soils that represent 
our hearts. And here's what he says in Luke 8, verse 13. He says, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, and then they what? They fall away when they face temptation. Down a little bit more for others, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Now, I'm not sure how much Jesus was trying to communicate by, uh, you know, with percentages, but it's interesting that of the four kinds of soil, how many of those soils uh, represent hearts that, that hold on to Jesus and continue on no matter what happens? It's one, right? Just one. So, so Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of people who don't make it. In fact, when he, in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is saying, how do you know when the end of of the world as we know it before he comes again. How do we know when it's coming to that time? He says this. He says in Matthew 24, at that time, how many will turn away from the faith? Many, he says, will turn away from the faith, right? So Jesus told us in advance, he goes, this is, this is going to happen. You can expect this. And we might even say, is this an indication that the coming of Jesus is, is approaching when we see the faith of many turning away? But it's not only Jesus who told us that, the early church leaders did as well. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, the early followers of Jesus really give us the same alert that Jesus did. And, and here's what we read, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, it says this. So be careful, be careful. Make sure that your own hearts, reading from the New Living Translation now, are not evil and unbelieving turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other, how often? Every, every day. He goes on a little bit later, says, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, that's the goal, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all the, that belongs to Christ. So he says, people will fall away, warn each other about that, and hold on to your faith. Paul the Apostle echo, echoes this. He says in 1 Timothy 4, he says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will do what? They'll abandon the faith. Let me ask, how does this impact you? Uh, I mean, why do they, why do they warn us? Par partly, I think, for our own sake, that we'll be alert to the potential of that in our own lives to go, this could happen to me. Like, I've got to really nurture my faith and and stay close to Jesus. But I also think there's something about being aware of what might happen. Uh, years ago, uh, one of our children had a major open heart surgery. So we are up at Boston Children's Hospital, and the night before our sons open heart surgery, they bring the parents whose kids are having open heart surgery the next day, and they they say, we would like to take you into the ICU to see the children who had surgery today. And so we go in, and it's the closest I've ever come in my life to fainting. I remember seeing these uh, children who were sort of bloated, had all these tubes and wires going in and out of their body, intubated, and I, I sort of held on. I mean, I had a physical reaction. And he might go, why did they do that? Like, what was the point of that? 
Because the next day when we were called into the ICU to see our own son, how did that help us? My heart was still broken. I ached when I saw 17 tubes and wires going in and out of our son's body, intubated and just going, wow, and he's bloated. But I wasn't surprised. They had told me this is what is going to happen. This is what you can expect. And expecting it, I actually had less of a reaction then than I did the day before. When you know that something might happen, when you're told that it will happen, it doesn't catch you by surprise and you are more prepared in your heart to say, okay, when this happens, it hurts. It might, it, it, it might be something that I, I'm having to wrestle with, but I'm not shocked. I was warned in advance. I really believe that's what Jesus and the early church leaders are saying to us, that when they warn us in the scriptures, they're saying, when this takes place, when someone abandons the faith, when someone walks away, don't, don't be shocked by that. It's going to happen. You can count on that. This might be really personal for you, whether it's someone you really care about who's deconstructing and not just leaving part of their faith, but all their faith behind, and maybe it is you. Maybe you say, you know, uh, I'm, I, I have big questions. Like you wonder about how does science intersect with faith and you go, can I even believe like in science? And there's actually a great response. Yes, you can believe in science. And, and, but, but there can be questions of do they conflict? Or what about the miracles? Did the miracles really happen? Did Jesus really walk on the water? Like did he, did he raise people from, from death? Did he heal people? And what about the biblical guardrails for, for sexuality. I mean, I've got friends who are like way beyond that and, and they, and so how do I make sense of what the Bible says about, about all of that? And what about failures in the church and its leadership? Like if this is the church that Jesus is founding and I've witnessed something, I've read something on you know, social media and I've seen them like, how do I, those are valid questions, right? They're things to dig into. But amid all of that other noise, there's one question that looms above every other question. One question that's like the linchpin, the key Jenga block that we have to figure out to say, whatever else I believe about all of this, that this right here is the one question that every single person is called to ask, and it's this, is Jesus who he claimed to be? All else depends on the answer to that question. If Jesus, is Jesus who he claimed to be, and did he really come back from death? Because Jesus still asks us like he did his followers in Matthew 16. He says to us today, he goes, John, then who do you say that I am? Alyssa, who, who, who do you say that I am? Mark, who, who do you say that I am? And Jesus is still asking that question even today, and the answer to that question is the most important answer we'll ever give in life. Here's, here's why. I like how James Emery White puts this. I mentioned his book in my notes, and he says this. He says, if you determine that Jesus was not who he said he was, that he was not God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, come to planet Earth in human form, then you already know where you stand with the Bible. You already know what you believe about the miracles. You already know where you stand with everything related to the Christian faith. You'd have to believe it's all what? It's all false. It's a bunch of lies and falsehoods. So why spend time on other questions? It all rises and falls on Jesus. Save yourself some time and just settle the Jesus question. 
And if you do end up believing in Jesus, that he really is God come in human form to show us the way, then, then that in itself is a legitimization of the Christian faith that he established. You accept the Bible because you accept that Jesus believed the Bible and, he, and because you think you know you believe he's God, you say, okay. You, you, you process some of the difficult teachings because you go, if he's God, even if I don't understand it, I, I'm willing to believe it. You don't have any issues, with the, uh, any issues with the miracles of Jesus because after all, well, he's God, right? And God can do anything that he wants. Everything rests on where you land in regards to Jesus. So if you want to deal with doubt regarding an existing faith or a non-existing faith, start with Jesus. That's the core to Christianity. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Who he is, why did he come to earth? Let's turn to one more passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is less than what he claimed, he's buried in a graveyard in the Middle East somewhere, and we just don't really know it, Christianity is a waste of time. Gathering together like we're doing today, watching online, uh, engaging there is, is pointless. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? Useless, and so is what? Your faith. I mean, he's pretty straightforward. He just says, if Jesus is still dead, your faith is useless. But if Jesus is who he claimed to be, God the Son who came to planet Earth in human form, he died and rose again, then, then the Christian faith, I can go, wow, it's, it's genuine, it's, it's true, it's, it's something that I can... I can believe, to, and it helps me to process, like we said, the more difficult teachings of Jesus, and to say, if he truly is God, who he claimed to be, then I, I will trust him, even though I don't understand a lot of other things. Nicky Gumbel talks about this when he, he's the one who was the main teacher in the Alpha Course, and he said, when you're reading the Bible, and you come to a, a part you don't understand, you go, I don't, he says, like a puzzle, he says, take that puzzle piece, just put it to the side and say, God, at some point, you're going to help me to figure out where that one goes. And then just work on the pieces that you know that really you go, okay. And, and one of the central ones to that is, is Jesus God? Well, he certainly claimed that. When the high priest asks him, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent from God? You know what Jesus says? He goes, I, I am. John chapter 14, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen whom? The Father. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father like I am God. And maybe the clinchers in John chapter 8 the religious leaders of the day are saying that Jesus essentially is nothing special. He's just like one of them. And Jesus responds in John chapter 8, an incredible claim. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, what? I am. Hugely significant. Abraham lived, you know, more than a thousand years prior to Jesus. And, he, and Jesus takes the very title that God identifies himself with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses says, when I go back to the people... And they say, who sent you? Who should I say? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. And all this time later, and Jesus is speaking to Jewish people who knew that story, and Jesus says, before Abraham was, what? I am. He was equating himself with God. And all of the people knew it, and it says they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. Friends, in, in no other major religion has any leadership figure made that claim. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius. Only Jesus has made the claim 
to be God himself in human form. If you're not sure about all this, you go, I just don't really know. I just, be honest with Jesus. Jesus can handle your questions and your doubts. It's his word that says to us, be merciful to those who doubt. And he showed that in his own life. To those who had genuine questions, Jesus didn't ridicule them. He was patient. So address your questions. Check the evidence. Take the Alpha course, a safe place to investigate. You know what's been convincing to me about the resurrection in particular? You'll see this in your notes on the screen as well. But all the eyewitnesses, over 500 eyewitnesses, the fact that there's an empty tomb, Jesus' enemies could never produce his body. I mean, if they knew that, why not just produce the body and say, here, here he is. The incredible devotion of those who followed him, even to their death. And then the continued growth of Jesus' family, over 2.5 billion people today. And I've experienced him in my own life, his forgiveness, his guidance, his presence. I, not always, there are times I go, he doesn't feel near, but, but I, I know that Jesus, and I've seen him at work in the lives of other people. In fact, I'd like you to hear a story today an example of someone whose life was impacted in just the last month. I sometimes feel like I get a front seat to a lot of things that God is doing in the lives of people at Grace. A marriage that has been reconciled or someone who's been, you know, freed from addiction or, or they've found meaning and purpose in spite of having gobs of success in their life and they still feel empty and they find a relationship with Christ. I want you to hear the story of someone who in just the last month whose life was radically changed. Here's the story of Jovan Pena. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name's Jovan Pena, and this is my story. I was born and raised in the Philippines uh, till I was 16. I came here, um, finished high school back home, um, came here for college and to settle. And my faith was never that strong until I got to college and, you know, critical thinking, got exposed to different ways of thinking. I've never even knew what the word atheist meant. Eventually, I met a professor, which... Long story short, kind of made me into an atheist. At first I was angry with God because I felt betrayed. Uh, I felt angry and to the point that through the years, um, just God never really came up in my life anymore to the point that it was no long, he was no longer relevant. Up until recently, this year, I went out with a, a, a friend. We hung out Saturday night, slept over his place, and then the next morning, um, I woke up, I saw him all dressed up, and I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to church. And something just in the back of my head just says, tell me if you want to come. I, I came with him, and it's the very same day I met um, good man Sharon, and uh, that started my uh, journey with, with Grace Church. At this point, I'm still not 100% if I should you know, continue going to church because you know, I, I wasn't really convinced yet that, you know, I should let God back in my life. Back in end of May, um, early June, I developed a, a really bad case of sciatica. It started with a mild discomfort, and up until recently, it gotten worse and worse and worse to the point that it was crippling, that I couldn't walk, I couldn't function, I couldn't work. I never knew depression was real up until it hit me, and um, to the point that I tried to commit suicide. Something was telling me not to pull the trigger. I literally had a gun in my mouth ready to pull the trigger. But for some reason, that two-pound trigger just felt like an immovable object. 
um, now that I think about it, it must have been God telling me, hey, buddy, you still got a lot of fight in you. So what I did was I, I called my friend Abby Demi, and I just broke down in tears, and Sharon made some phone calls and emails, and uh, I never believed in prayers until it worked on me. Quite a few of uh, people from Grace Church uh, came to my, my house, and people who have known me less than six months came to my house to pray for me at 10 o'clock, almost 11 o'clock at night, when they could have been in bed sleeping. I think this community gives you um, an idea, or actually lets you know how much uh, love God has for you. And for whatever reason, I suppose God started healing my sciatica. Um, within two or three days, it's completely gone, just like that. Since then, I've become a full believer. And I have a very uh, strong scientific mind being, you know, from the medical field. And there's nothing I can do to explain what happened because the timing was just was impeccable uh, of how it just disappeared within one or two, two, three days of just prayers, which I haven't prayed in years, 14 years. I haven't talked to God. Um, and within just that one decision, um, he changed my life. And one of the reasons I became depressed was because I couldn't work. But now I'm getting job offers left and right. I don't even know which one to take anymore. Whenever you feel like hope is gone, like I thought hope was gone, just hold on. God's working his ways. God's got your back. Never give up. Because once you give up, you will never know what the outcome is. And uh, you think that you're insignificant because people don't seem to care. Sorry if I get emotional, but I didn't even realize that people were that affected. When, when I told them that I, I tried to commit suicide. You know, so... Just know that there are people uh, that love you. God loves you. Don't do it. You know, don't end it because you're not only do you hurt yourself, but you're also gonna hurt people around you. So hold on, hang tight. There's a lot of fighting you still, just like, just like I did. So that's all I gotta say. I really believe that one of you needed to hear that today, Jovan's story, and, and it's, just, it's a, just an evidence of what God can do and bring someone who for 14 years said, I just sort of walked away. If you have someone that that's the case for you, pray for them. Be gentle and gracious. Be available. Say, hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. When God prompts you to say, I'm going to invite you to this, or here's something I was thinking about you. And trust God that he loves them even more than you do. And if you're the one, you're in a place where you go, I, I don't know what I believe. I'm in that place where I, I'm sort of questioning what it is I'm deconstructing, investigating in some way. Can I give you a word of encouragement from James Emery White? Doubt has you on a journey. Finish it. And don't waste a single day more in settling a destination because you don't know how many more days you've got. Settle this for your life. Don't just wind up in deconstruction, in other words. Don't, don't wind up just saying, I'm just, all you have is doubt. Finish the journey. 
Let me close with this. Mary and I know a college student who encountered a crushing blow in her life, the loss of a the death of a close friend, and she was asked how this impacted her faith in Christ. Would her faith waver? Would she, would she stay devoted to following Jesus? And her answer revealed the, the roots of her faith, and, and really it's, it's what will root, root faith for any one of us. So I'd like us to say this together aloud. You might not even be at the point of believing this yet, but it's what I believe is true for every one of us. Here's what she said. Let's say it together. Ready? I don't believe because it's easy. I believe because it's true. Friends, we live in a broken world with all kinds of suffering, right? Unanswered questions, hurricanes, and natural disasters, and war, and sickness, and cancer, and tragedies, and death. And in the end, the big question is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Don't, don't wonder about all the miracles and how do we come to be and, all, and suffering in the world. In the end, is Jesus God in human form? Did he come? Did he live? Did he die? Did he rise again? And if he's alive today, and I truly believe he is, he's writing a story, and that story has a really, really good ending, and he wants you to be a part of it. So in closing, let's say that declaration one more time. Would you say it with me? Let's say it together. I don't believe because it is easy. I believe because it is true. Father in heaven, we thank you today that you've sent us Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Lord, there's a lot of life we don't understand. There's a lot of things in our own lives that sometimes just confuse us, the uncertainties. Lord, we just say we want to know you better. We want to understand you, Jesus. Thank you for coming into our world, for revealing yourself to us. Lord, would you grow our faith? Let our roots go deeper so, Lord, that in the, a world that has so much upheaval and tumult, that we will be among those who cling to you no matter what happens to the faith of others. And, Lord, we want to bring to you those that you love, the, the sheep who has wandered, just in this moment, would you just quietly just mention a name or two to him? Someone you know is in this process of deconstructing. Jesus, you said if there's a hundred sheep and one wanders away, you're going after that sheep. We believe you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so we believe you've heard these names, you know them, and you love these ones even more than we do. So we commit them to your care. Would you pursue them? Draw them back, we pray. And Jesus, may our lives be an example of what it looks like to be radically devoted to you. We love you and we trust you. We invite your spirit to come and strengthen us on the journey. For the sake of your name, we pray. And everyone who wants it to be so said, amen, amen. amen.